0: All right, you've got your Bibles this morning. Let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs. We're still talking about the satisfied life. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Let's look at verse, uh, we'll we'll just start with verse 35 this morning. We'll look at verse 35 and then we'll see the context around it. Thank you for standing as we open the book as they did in Nehemiah chapter 8. When Ezra, the scribe, opened the book of the law, they stood in honor of the reading of that word. They had been without it. For so long, and I appreciate the hunger we have here for God's word. But in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 35, it says, For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. I want you to think about if you had not known the reference, you did not know this was in Proverbs, you did not know this was in the Old Testament, and you only saw these words For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Who would you think that's talking about? Jesus, absolutely. You would think, man, this verse is talking about Jesus. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about an intimate knowledge of the Almighty. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to continue to lead us and instruct us in the Word of God, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the Word today, that we would be doers of the Word, that the Word of God would do a sanctifying work as your spirit appropriates it to our life and empowers adjustments that need to be made so that we walk in harmony with Jesus. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I read about a a college faculty meeting where the dean of the faculty was about to address these faculty members, and all of a sudden an angel of God appeared in their presence. And the angel told this dean of faculty, said, anything you ask for in one of these three categories, you'll have. You can ask for all the wealth, millions of dollars, whatever it may be there. It can have to do with wealth. You can ask for infinite wisdom, or you can ask for solid character. That, that you would be as, as good as you can be. And so the professor thought about it, and he knew with all of his colleagues around that he needed to to prove that he was uh, worthy to be a dean of faculty. And so he said, oh, there's no, there's no question here. I would ask that you would give me infinite wisdom that I would be the wisest man I could possibly be. And so with a uh, a bolt of lightning and a, the sound of thunder, the angel and a puff of smoke, the, the, the angel disappeared and there just remained kind of a halo behind the head of, of light behind this wise now dean of faculty. And, and all of the other faculty members were waiting to see what would be that first word of wisdom that this newly enlightened dean would have. And he looked at them and he thought for a moment and he said, I should have asked for the money. And some of you will get that later. What is it that would make us satisfied in this life? Wealth, wisdom, as the world would give wisdom, maybe? Health and good looks, and solid character. What is it? Last week we looked at the fact that wisdom that comes from God is a key to the satisfied life. But this wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And so we talked about not an intimate knowledge of the Almighty so much as an awesome knowledge that we first recognize who he is in all of his glory in and of himself in such a way that it would cause us to tremble with fear in his presence because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we said that awesome knowledge must also become an intimate knowledge. And I want us to understand more about that infinite knowledge. I'm sorry, that intimate knowledge of the Almighty this morning that would give us a wise perspective on life. Once we understand that, that the awesome knowledge must lead to an intimate knowledge, that that El Shaddai, God Almighty, the All-Sufficient One, is also Emmanuel, the God who is with us, who we can know personally and intimately, then we're well on our way to being able to comprehend and understand and apply the other Proverbs that deal with the, the basic and practical areas of life that we'll be getting into throughout the course of this study. Now, here's the dilemma when I look at this verse that we opened up with verse 35 according to what i read in the new testament a relationship with jesus christ and understanding that he lives in us by his holy spirit and the spirit-filled life that's the key to satisfaction from what i read in john chapter 4 when jesus meets the woman at the well and he said if you would have asked of me i would give you living water that overflows that's a picture of being satisfied living water that overflows even to eternal life, that you you can have the best life in this world that you could possibly experience, a full and meaningful life that he talks about in John 10, 10. Not perfect, but purposeful and meaningful and fulfilling. And you get heaven too. It overflows into eternal life. That's satisfaction. Or in John chapter 7, when Jesus cries out, is anybody thirsty? Meaning you want more in life than what this religious ritual at the feast they were attending there? He said, you want more in life that satisfies than religion? He says, ask of me. And so everything I read in the New Testament tells me that the key to the satisfied life is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here the pronoun me, according to the context and Proverbs 8.35 is speaking of wisdom. He who finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So is it wisdom or is it Jesus that is the key to the satisfied life? And the answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. Jesus is the personification of wisdom that we read in Proverbs chapter 8, all that wisdom is, Jesus is that and so much more, the very embodiment of the wisdom of God. So in John chapter 1 and verse 1, when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and that word there is logos, the the, the wisdom, the, the mystery, the understanding, and compre- everything that God is is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we'll see a parallel as we work through Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through the end of the chapter, verse 36 there, we'll see a parallel with the very incarnation of God in Christ that we studied back before Christmas. There's an amazing parallel of wisdom and that Logos, the Word of God, made flesh, Jesus Himself. And so, yes, wisdom is a key to the satisfied life. But yes, Jesus is ultimately the personification of the wisdom that comes down from God. And so let's, let's make three observations and then I'll give you uh, some points of application to take with you if, once we see where this passage is, is kind of guiding us this morning. The first observation is this, wisdom as with Jesus. Wisdom and Jesus were eternally existing with the Father. Now back up in this proverb. The whole whole proverb is is wisdom calling out like Jesus, you would want to embrace me if you really want to have life. And then you get down to verse 22. And we see that as John 1, 1 says, in the beginning the Word was with God and the Word was God. We see wisdom in the same way with God from the beginning. It says, the Lord made me at the beginning of his creation, before his works of long ago. I was formed before ancient times, before the beginning, before the earth began. I was brought forth. Now, some translations here say possessed. In other words, wisdom being an attribute of God, wisdom is as eternal as God. And there came a time where that wisdom was manifest for man to see, even though it really had no beginning because it always was in existence with God. God, because God has always been and always will be the only wise God. In the same way, Jesus Christ has been eternally existing with the Father as God the Son from the very beginning. He says, when there were no watery depths, no springs filled filled with water, I was brought forth before the mountains, or possessed before the mountains and hills were established Before he made the land or the fields or the first soil on the earth, God was always the only wise God and Christ was always the personification of the wisdom of God as God would make his wisdom known to us, as God would reveal himself to us. Ultimately, his final word is Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say his final word would be Jesus. He would speak to us through his Son, and that would be his loudest word. And so we see the et- eternality of Christ, that uh, the, the forever embodiment of the wisdom of God is found in his son, Jesus Christ, who made that wisdom known to us. That's why you can trust Jesus, folks. He is the revelation of the only wise God. He is the same yesterday. Today and forever, he is without beginning, without end. He is the Alpha and Omega. He always has been. He always will be. And if you try to build your life on a wisdom apart from Jesus Christ, you're building your life on foolishness that will not last. Wisdom and Jesus were eternally existing with the Father. Secondly, I want you to see that wisdom, as with Jesus, were explicitly engaged in creation. That it was God with his wisdom, but also God with his Son, the Father and the Son together, creating with the aid of the Holy Spirit, explicitly engaged in creation. In John chapter 1 and verse 3, we read that through Christ all things were made, and apart from him, nothing was made that was made. Now, what does that tell us about Jesus? If nothing was made that was made, then Jesus was not created himself. If all things that have been created were created by Christ, then he has to have been eternally existing with the Father, right? And now he's explicitly involved in creation. And so you can't buy in. This morning in our life group, we were talking about various cults, but you can't buy into it if the Jehovah's Witness say, wait a minute, there was a time that that God created the Son, Jesus Christ. No, Jesus has always eternally existed with the Father. There was a time of his incarnation when the Word became flesh, but he always has been existing with the Father, even making appearances in the Old Testament that we call Christophanies, pre-incarnate appearances of Christ, that fourth man in the fiery furnace, that messenger of the Lord that wrestled with Jacob. And then he's explicitly here engaged in creation, Look at Proverbs 8, 27 through 29 and see how this parallels with the wisdom of God. I was there when he established the heavens and when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above, when the fountains of the ocean gushed forth, when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command when he laid out the foundations of the earth. Verse 30 begins, I was a skilled craftsman beside him. And so we know that Jesus, according to John 1, was there with the Father in wisdom, creating the world as we know it. We we know also, according to Genesis, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Sometimes people would ask me, "How how do you pray to God? Well, we obviously pray through one mediator, Jesus Christ. But because of that mediator, you can refer to him as Father, because he taught us to pray, Father. You can talk to him as Jesus, and he's still the mediator. You can make reference to the Holy Spirit, who is helping make intercession for us, interpreting language that we cannot even utter. And and so we have, listen, some of you, if I were to ask you to pray, you might would address God. Oh, Holy Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us today. Some of you might say, dear Lord Jesus, we need your intervention today. Others might say, heavenly Father. And the wonderful thing about what Jesus has done for us to put us in relationship with the God of this universe is we can address him as Father, as Jesus, and as Holy Spirit. He created us to live in fellowship and in a relationship with him. And you see that there was joy in this taking place. When wisdom of Proverbs 8 is personified in Jesus Christ. There was a skilled craftsman putting all this in place. And so sometimes we don't imagine the, the joy within the Godhead, the joy of father and son working together in this process. Probably because we struggle with it ourselves. How many of you men have ever uh, built a derby car with your kids, right? I want a Grand Prix, I should have said, right? How many of you you built with you like, man, are, are we gonna get this right? How many of you moms have ever had to do a school project with your kids? And I, I remember one of, as far as me and my son working together, there were really two that my wife said, now she, she was, you know, the project queen back in the day, but there were two of them that she said, you're going to have to help him with this. And, and I don't know why Karis didn't have to do a Rube Goldberg machine or, a, or build a volcano, but but I remember working on that volcano. Dad, you've been there before, we're on the back porch, and we can't get it shaped right or anything else. And, and we almost lost fellowship with one another, father and son, over a stinking volcano. And, and then over a Rube Goldberg. You know what Rube Goldberg is? You have to build something that, that one act of motion puts a series of energy exchanges where there's another act of motion, another, and, and, you know, we're sending a little ball through a process of things, and, and, and so we've got this contraption that ultimately leads to something, turning on a coffee pot and making a cup of coffee. And I don't, I don't know if it was 30 or 40 trials. After we had finished, after we got it all together, 30 or 40 trials before, finally, all the exchanges of energy took place. And we're giving up, we're getting mad at each other. The fishing line when it hits the reel and, and drops is not doing what it's supposed to do. And, and I'm like, why do you have to do this? Pro-? We understand what it's talking about, but God didn't call you to be an engineer, obviously, so why are we doing this? And so we're losing fellowship. And no energy is being exchanged on the Rube Goldberg machine. But with God the Father and God the Son, there was perfect harmony. There was joy in the process. And you are that most prized creation as God created you with a perfect design. And when he breathed life into you, it created you with a need to rely fully on him, the source of life. And Jesus would be that. And we see that in this third observation this morning. We see that wisdom as with Jesus exclusively extending life and redemption. What happened to that breath of life? On oh, the day that you eat of the tree, Adam and Eve were told you will surely die. We've been born in now their image as well as the image of God, right? We, we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And so we need a new breath of life in us. And John 1, 4 says, in him, speaking of Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, understanding that, look back here at Proverbs. We left off at verse 30. He says, I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the human race. Wisdom was bringing life into the human race as a picture of what Christ would be for us. In John 1, 12, that first chapter, John goes on to say, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. When you flip over to John three sixteen, you all know how the story goes. For God so loved the world that he gave a son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting what. Life. And so life is in his name. Jesus is giving life and redemption. Look at Proverbs 8, 32 through 35. And now, my sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy. Listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Anyone who listens to me is happy. Watching at my doors every day, waiting by the post of my doorway. Wisdom is crying out here saying, You don't want to miss out on a relationship with me just as Jesus Christ would be saying, I'm waiting to spend some time with you. I'm wanting to walk with you. You need to get in my words. You need to take me by the hand. You need to be filled with my spirit, the very spirit of Christ, and you're going to have life. Wait for me. Spend time with me. Walk with me. For Where we started, verse 35, the one who finds me wisdom. The one who finds me Jesus finds life and obtains favor from the Lord but those who received him not John 3:18 said were condemned already why because they had rejected the only one sent of the father verse 36 in proverbs 8 but the one who sins against me harms himself all who hate me Love, death. To embrace Jesus is to embrace life. To embrace wisdom is to embrace life. To reject wisdom, to to reject Jesus, is to reject life and to embrace death. He says, don't be foolish here. Don't hate me. we, We have some smart people in the world that reject Jesus Christ. So, some really intelligent people in the world. But that's not wisdom. Wisdom is from above, not from human experience, not from a high IQ. How many ladies here, how, how many of you ladies are married to someone you would say is really smart? Raise your hand. Somebody who is really smart who does dumb things. Raise your hand. Hold <laughs> on. Some of you put it back down. You know, smart people can do stupid things. The psychologists have actually done studies on this. Why, why does it seem like smart people do so many stupid things? Why do smart people do dumb things? I'm trying not to say the S word there. Stupid things, right? Studies have been done on this, and, and here's the results of these studies. The reason, the reason highly intelligent people seem to do a lot of things that aren't that bright. Number one is that they're overconfident. Because of overconfidence, well, you might see it in sports a lot, right? We know what we're doing, we got this. But because we're overconfident, I say we as if I'm one of the smart people in the study. (laughs) Highly intelligent people have been known to push too hard and therefore not be good team players. Highly intelligent people, the studies have come back highly highly intelligent ladies are going to love this highly intelligent people think they're always right <laughs> my wife knew she married Mr. Wright she just didn't know my middle name was always when she married but highly intelligent people do stupid things because they think they're always right typically uh-oh I don't know you know for the ladies who raise their hands. I don't know if this is describing your husband. Maybe if I'd just ask if there are some men who think you're related to or married to some really, really intelligent women who have done dumb things, we'd have had more raise their hands. But I didn't want to get you in big trouble, fellas. Um, but typically, they have low emotional intelligence. Those with a high IQ often have a low EQ, low emotional intelligence, and so they have a difficult time just connecting with people. Just engaging with people. They often tend to give up when it's not done their way. A lot of times they live life without grit. Uh, They're often known as multitaskers and they get so busy, they get so many irons in the fire because they feel like they're intelligent enough to handle it that they don't do things with quality because they're trying to multitask all the time. And then one of the number one results of the studies on why Smart people do stupid things is because they often don't listen the, because they already know everything, right? And, and so again, studies have shown again and again and again that some of the smartest people, listen, they're, they're, not, they're not typically some of the highest paid. You, you know, some of the highest paid people, some of the highest salaried people, some of the um, most politically powerful people, don't fit the category of some of the most intelligent people. Some of you are like, well, I already knew that about politics. But they don't typically fit the category of the most intelligent people because there are people who have learned how to think critically because they may have to learn things the hard way. Why do I share all of that? Because There are people in this world that think, man, we are smarter than we've ever been in the history of the universe. We've got more technology. We've got more understanding and more insight and more wisdom. I mean, you talk about this generation of young people that are coming up today that are used to having a smartphone in one hand, being able to Google all the answers to life. And yet... Philosophically, we're struggling like never before. Spiritually, we're as far from God as we've ever been. Why is that? Turn to First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one, starting with verse 18. It says, "For those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness." But to us who are being saved, it is God's power, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? And just like in the first century, in a Greco Roman world where people loved to debate and where there were scholars and, and where people loved to talk philosophy. We're asking the same questions in the 21st century. Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews asked for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. They were looking for the right thing. That is, the Greeks looking for wisdom, but they didn't understand where it came from. He says, but here's where it comes from. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, God's power and God's what? Wisdom. Jesus, the wisdom and the power of God made known to us and so as we get into the Proverbs throughout the rest of this study, understand that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, none of the rest can really be applied to your life. He is the wisdom and the power of God because God's, I love this in verse 25. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Look what does that mean for the church? Look over to Colossians chapter one. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gentiles eat pork chops. However, you can remember that God eats potato chips. Georgia Electric Power Company, GEPc, right? But turn over to Colossians. Let me flip past Philippians. Right, end up in Colossians. Chapter 1, starting with verse 15. See how wisdom personified in Christ gives the church its very purpose. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That word means preeminent. He's first place in all creation. And I pray first place and the first love in your life today, because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, The invisible and uh, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Echoing John's words, Paul says Christ couldn't have been created because he is the creator of all things. He is before all things and by him all things are held together. And if he can hold this universe together, if he can keep this planet 93 million miles from the sun without us getting so close that we are consumed by fire or so far that we freeze to death. If he can hold this planet on its axis, then certainly he can hold your life and my life together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In other words, when it comes to the church, then Jesus Christ is Lord. He is sovereign over his church. He is the leader of the church, and we are to get in line with him. Well, pastor, I thought you believed in pastoral leadership. We need you to provide leadership. If at any point I get out from under the authority of Jesus Christ or his word, you're to follow Christ. No matter what. You're to align your life, your home, everything up under the lordship of Christ. And as a pastor, I should be facilitating that, exhorting that, encouraging that. The firstborn from the dead, the first resurrected to never die again so that he might Come to have first place, preeminence in everything, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to do what? Reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He's exclusively extending life and redemption through this gospel that the world can't get its mind around, but the only wise God has said, this is a way to an intimate knowledge of me, the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. So what do we do with that wisdom? Let me give you some action points. What do we do with that understanding? If Jesus is wisdom personified, when we leave here today, we need to be determined to learn like Jesus. (laughs) We need to be determined to learn like Jesus. Luke two fifty two says that he grew in wisdom. Speaking up from his childhood through his years, and I believe throughout the years he was on this earth, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We need to learn like Jesus. If the Son of God made flesh, the, the very picture of wisdom personified, grew in wisdom, then we need to grow in wisdom. If he grew in stature, then we need to take seriously our, our physical growth and take care of ourselves. If he grew in favor with God, then spiritual growth needs to be a priority in your life and in my life. And if he grew in favor with man, then social growth. Listen, a lot of us are are trying to grow spiritually, but we're not learning how to connect and engage the people around us. And we're like the smart people who know a lot up here, but aren't able to connect with people beside us. We need to learn like Jesus. And balance these areas of life. We need to live like Jesus. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind, this mindset or this purpose be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And it describes his humiliation as well as his exaltation leading to that verse that one day every knee would bow and tongue would confess. But we see wisdom was a picture of humility and purpose and mission in his life. If we're going to live like Jesus, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let him take care of the rest. It's going to eliminate a lot of worry from our lives because we're going to live like him in humility and with a purpose of mission. Learn like Jesus, live like Jesus, and then love like Jesus. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave us. His only Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, he says, if we, if he so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And so we ought to love like Jesus. I've got friends, folks. I'll tell you, in, in pastoral life, some of my colleagues, and in denominational life, and in church leadership, I've got friends who ought to be loving each other but because they disagree with each other over about whether or not a wall should be built. I've got brothers who aren't getting along together. And whether the wall's built or not has nothing to do with me and the kingdom of God. These brothers need to be loving each other and not forget their mission. But over politics, over government decisions, Christian friends losing fellowship with each other. The greatest commandments love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, whoever they are, wherever they are. And I'm not saying, I'm not stating a position for or against it. I'm just saying disagreement should not be division among the body of Christ, opinion should not separate us. Love like Jesus, love God, love others, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And finally, lead like Jesus. In Matthew 20, Jesus would say, Those of this world, the Gentiles, the, they, they like to lord it over one another. He said, That shouldn't be the case with you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, serve each other. You want to be a leader, be a servant. Be a blessing. If you're trying your best, whether you're talking about your family, your job, the church, you have a desire to move somebody from point A to point B, start serving that person. And as you serve that person and bless that person, you'll have the kind of influence in their life that moves that person. Even those who don't know Christ, moving them toward the gospel And so it's it's good to say, hey, we know all of that up here, Jesus' wisdom personified. And as the days ahead, as we begin to break down some of these proverbs, and they apply to such practical areas of life to give us wisdom. If you bypass what we talked about last week and this week, we have no foundation to build on. It starts with an awesome knowledge of God that we understand who He is in all of His glory. And tremble in his presence. And then an intimate knowledge of God, knowing that El Shaddai became Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus is wisdom personified. So, listen, you may say, I just don't know much about the Bible. If you know enough that you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're ahead of most people in the world. So trust in him today. Learn like him. Live like him. Love like him and lead like him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?